There's always an excitement around the birth of a baby, expecting the arrival of a baby. Even if you don't know someone very well, when you hear that they're expecting a baby, you think, oh, that's good, good news. Two people I don't know very well at all, though, you know, I may be related to somewhere down the line, is Meghan and Harry, royalty. They're expecting a baby in the spring, did you know? Be surprised if you didn't, because the thing about royal, royal babies is we all know about it, don't we? There was much speculation a while back. Apparently, it became clear that Meghan was expecting because she wore a large coat. <laughs> I think it was the style, but the media felt she was hiding something. And then she was carrying two files full of paper in front of her tummy. That sealed it, apparently, according to the press. And then we found out that they were expecting a child in the spring next year. And um, she had to rest one evening during their tour of Australia because she was a bit tired. We all knew about that as well. Um, We find out all the bits of news, don't we, when it's royalty. The worst was with Kate and William when they were expecting their first baby. We all heard about the sickness, and it is awful, and I'm not saying that it's not, but we all heard about it, how she was so terribly sick, and we all heard about the possible discussions of the gender of the child. Uh, We had to get involved in that. But the build-up became quite intense a few weeks before. I don't know whether any of you remember. You might not know any of this, but a few weeks before the birth, in fact, it's about a month before the birth of each of their children, but especially George, um, the roads were closed to the hospital where she was going to give birth. This was a month before. Would have been a bit inconvenient if you worked around that area, wouldn't it? The roads were closed. The barriers in front of the hospital were painted, repainted, so they looked nice for when she came out. Um, parking was suspended for a month. Um, there was an area cordoned off on the pavement for the press, so you couldn't walk along the pavement because they had to set up their step ladders, etc. And people began to sleep in sleeping bags on the pavement one month before the arrival of the child. Because the birth of royalty, a royal baby, can be quite something, really. And so I guess it's really no surprise that here in the Bible, the build-up to the coming of the Messiah, the birth of Jesus, is also quite something. It started, of course, by the prophecies in the Old Testament, years and years and years before, the word of God that came through appointed people of the time, which paint this wonderful picture of the arrival of a new king, Prophecies from Jeremiah, Isaiah and Micah, among others, speak of a king who will reign wisely and do what is just and what is right. They speak of a king who will bind up the brokenhearted, who will proclaim freedom for the captives and release for the prisoners. They speak of one who will shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord. We have words of one who will carry the name Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. One who will eventually usher in the time of Emmanuel, when God will come to be among his people. 
And then, of course, as the story progresses, things begin to get a little bit more personal over time. Although, just as grand, the angel Gabriel appears to Zachariah, a priest, serving in the temple in Jerusalem. He comes to tell of the birth of a son who will prepare the way for this wonderful Messiah, one John the Baptist. You see, from prophecies of years ago to priests in the temple of God, from appointed people to holy buildings. So far, up until this point, the the arrival of the Son of God, the build-up to it, has been rather grand in all the right places. Until we arrive at our passage today. When, although once again, we do have the angel Gabriel who is sent to pass on another message, this time it is for a young girl, a young Jewish girl, who lives in the town of Nazareth. Not a man, not a priest, not even a woman who is married to a man, and not a person living in Jerusalem either, but a young Jewish girl who is unmarried, who is inexperienced in life, who is unqualified. A young Jewish girl who lives on the edge of Jewish society, which compared to the prophecies, the prophets of long ago and the priests before her, to people of acceptable gender and respected standing, seems a totally odd choice to become part of the build-up to the most amazing arrival in history. And yet when the angel Gabriel appears to Mary, he arrives with these words. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. Or if you like, when the angel Gabriel appears to this young Jewish girl, having followed in the footsteps of the prophets and appeared to the priest Zechariah, he says to her, you will be the mother of the Son of God. You will be one of the main parts in the greatest story ever to take place. Now, following on from the route that this news has taken, after all the grand build-up and the important people in the right places, for the angel Gabriel to appear to a young girl in an obscure village who isn't even married and tell her she will give birth to the long-awaited Messiah is a little bit strange and a little bit risky. I mean, sure, we've got used to it because we read the Christmas story every single year and we know this is going to happen. But when we think about it, when we think about the society of the time which was male-dominated, women were nothing, were nobodies. When we think about the credentials of those who had gone before, the prophets who were respected and held up, the priests who served the Lord. When we think about the locations where God has chosen to speak in the past, Jerusalem, the temple, the heart of the Jewish people, to suddenly pick a young girl out of nowhere, Nazareth, this backwater place, who is unmarried, who lives on the edge of society, who isn't even noticed, a very ordinary person, if you like, who, when the news breaks, will either be ostracised, ridiculed, or stoned to death, seems 
a bit of an odd step to take when trying to build up to the birth of the Son of God. You know, in the 1980s, a lot of historical events seemed to happen. Berlin Wall came down, things like that. There was a lot of things happening around the world. And one of the things that happened, that I'm sure all of us here will remember, was what is now known as the massacre of Tiananmen Square. I'm sure all of us will remember that. It took place early June 1989. And students had been in Tiananmen Square protesting against the government and the things that were going on in the country. And they'd been there for seven weeks, peacefully. They'd set up camp. They'd settled there. They sung songs. They marched. But they weren't causing any violence or any problems. But after a while, the government of the day decided that this was enough. They had to show their power and they had to show their authority. And so one night in early June 1989, they sent tanks in. The thousands of students just sitting there. They sent tanks in and they gunned down these civilians. No one knows how many were killed, but it was hundreds. And it was covered up quite quickly. A couple of days later, when the tanks were still in the square, there was an image of a man who came and stood in front of a tank that was rolling into Tiananmen Square. And he had two shopping bags, and he was dressed in very ordinary clothes. And he stood there. And it was an image of these mighty tanks rolling up and stopping because one ordinary person had decided to stand in the way of the tanks. And they all stopped in a line. I don't know whether you remember it, but it was an image that was on the news. It was probably one of the only images that was captured by the Western media that was allowed to get out. And we all saw this ordinary man standing in front of these tanks. It's very famous now. And the thing that struck me about the whole thing that happened in Tiananmen Square is that when we look back at it now, we don't remember necessarily who was in power. Some of us will. A lot of us will be like, I don't know. We don't remember the name of those in authority. We don't remember those who were in charge of the army. We don't remember all these people. But we remember Tank Man, as he is known. The ordinary man in the white shirt with his shopping bags, who stood in front of the tank and wouldn't let it go by. And you know, there were lots of other people who did the same thing. It wasn't recorded on the media, but lots of people did that. But we remember him because we got a picture of him. Because it is often the ordinary people, those people who seemingly have no credentials or no power or no authority that suddenly find themselves, for one reason or another, playing one of the most important roles in history. It happens time and time again with images of people who probably set out that day just carrying on their normally everyday lives. And here in the Bible, it is this young girl, Mary, seemingly picked at random because she's a woman and a baby needs to be born, who finds herself in the starring role. Now, of course, we all know that she wasn't simply picked at random because when the angel Gabriel appears to Mary, he says, Greetings, you who are highly favoured. Do not be afraid. You have found favour 
with God. You've not been picked randomly. It's no mistake, but you have been chosen to fulfill a very important task. Now, of course, one of the reasons Mary was chosen was that Joseph, her fiancé, was part of the lineage of Jesus, from Abraham through to David, right down to Joseph, as we read at the beginning of the book of Matthew and all those names. This was the line of David from which Jesus had been prophesied all those years ago to come. So in that sense, Mary was the obvious choice. She was linked into that line. And yet, as Gabriel continues to talk to Mary, and as we see her life from this point on, and as we read her song in a few verses' time, if you get a chance to do that, it becomes clear that other credentials are involved. She's not just picked because she's linked with Joseph. She's not picked because of anything like that, because she's not recognised in society or anything. But it does seem that there is something about her that is very different from those around. That her character and her humility and her confidence in following God are very different from the people around her. And ultimately her sacrifice as she leads a life of service and watches her son give his life for the world. It seems that these are the things that are unquestioned and unmatched in the society around. Because you see, as God prepared to give his all to the world in his son, Jesus Christ, what he had been looking for and what he finds in Mary is someone who is willing to give her all back to him. Whatever that might mean from this point, and whatever path that might mean that her life would take. So as Gabriel proposes the most outrageous plan to a young virgin, to a very ordinary girl, we're not really surprised at the end of the day to hear her reply, her response to Almighty God. I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me according to your word. Now, you know, I'm sure we've read this passage many, many times, and I'm sure that we've heard many talks based around it. And because of this, it's easy for us, in a way, to look at the response of Mary in the light of her culture and simply to see her as an extraordinary girl who, at that time, was able to fulfil the purposes of God with complete obedience and complete trust, an unusual woman in the society in which she lived. And, you know, in a way, I guess that She was, that's true. However ordinary she started off as, she ended up as an amazing girl, an amazing woman, an unusual role model of her time. But to see Mary as this and therefore either consign her to history as an outstanding human being or put her on a pedestal and worship her would be to totally miss what God is saying, what is going on in this passage. Because, you know, as we make our way through Advent today as we ponder the things of Christmas and think about what that says to us, this passage is a challenge to each one of us. It's not about an extraordinary woman. It's a challenge to ordinary people. Or at least it should be. Because in a society in which credentials and qualifications are of utmost importance, and in a culture where people are judged by their standing in the community and their role in the world, in our society and our culture, where no one wants to be ordinary anymore, this passage is a real challenge to what we deem to be important. 
Because what it highlights, and indeed what the birth of Jesus highlights, is that although God chose the prophets and the priests to convey his message throughout history, although the build-up was grand and important, at the end of the day, when it came to the coming of the Messiah and how this would actually take place in reality, the credentials that God looked for were not our usual array of desires. They weren't things like what job we have, or how much money we make, or how much money we don't make, or what age we are, or who we know, or how many hours we work, or where we live, or how many children we have, or what our house is like, or what car we drive, or what life experience we have. They weren't things like how society sees us, or what gender we are or how full our diary is, or how many people know us, or what circles we move in, or what qualifications we have to our name, or what qualifications we don't have, or how many friends we have on social media, or even how many good things we do in service to God. They weren't any of those things which we can sometimes see as so important. Instead, the credentials that God looked for and the only thing he was interested in when he chose Mary was what she desired in her heart. And when he looked, he saw a woman who was willing to give absolutely everything to a God who had come to give everything to us. And you know, as we sit here and God looks at us now, it's really good to know that worldly credentials don't mean an awful lot to him. That wherever we stand in society and whatever qualifications we do or don't have, God in one sense isn't really that bothered. But it's also a real challenge to know that when God looks for us to be involved in his story here on earth, the first thing he looks at is not what other people think of us or what we've built our life to be but it's the desire of our heart and the question are we willing to seek to follow him are we humble in the way we approach him are we confident that what God wants will be the right thing wherever it takes us and whatever might happen to our lives. Or if you like, as we look towards Christmas and we think about Mary, are we willing in the face of a God who has given absolutely everything for us to be people who are willing to give absolutely everything to him?